We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. KC Laboratory. Sponsored by Emprise Bank. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the KC Laboratory, brought to you by Emprise Bank member FDIC. My name is Craig Stout. I'm not your normal host. You might notice your normal host is a little bit still right now. Kent couldn't make it with us tonight, so we're we're doing this as a duet, but we just decided that you all wanted to desperately see Kent's face because we're doing video, and who can blame you? Look at the man. So, and he's here in spirit. He is here in spirit, but... With me, as always, is my good pal. You can find him at Chief in Carolina, Matthew Lane. Matt, how's it going, buddy? I really like these episodes that don't have Kent because I feel like we just bounce back and forth between you hosting, me hosting. We just we just kind of play it back and forth all around. Yeah. And I, I really enjoy the vibe. You know, it, it, there's nobody suppressing it. There's not like this dictator ruling over us, controlling how every little thing... I'm kidding. I love you, Kent, when you go back and listen to this. But it's just, it's funny to me that we do bounce back and forth between who hosts these things when Kent isn't around. Yes. And Maddie and I are well practiced in doing this. You might remember if some of you decided to go check it out on the KCSN Powered by Chiefs Kingdom page on Facebook. Maddie and I did a film room earlier this week, just the two of us breaking down Chiefs offensive line breaking down techniques, gap versus zone. So please go sign up for that. They're, they're going to have you fill out a couple of questions to make sure you're not some Raiders fan. And then you're going to be able to get in, and that's on there. We're going to be doing more of those. So please tune into that. Please Guys, subscribe. I can't recommend, recommend this enough. Craig has put in a ton of work for this stuff. He is bringing you guys all kinds of information and stuff that you probably have heard before, but he's breaking it down in ways that make it easy to understand I cannot tell you how much Craig's worked on this. These are phenomenal. I just kind of sit there, drink a little bit of something, make remarks every you know five, six minutes because that's what I'm there for. Control the chat. Make sure you guys don't get rowdy. But they're phenomenal. If you are trying to learn more about football, not just Chiefs football, but football in general, or if you have a huge interest in the Chiefs, make sure you check these things out because I really do think you're going to learn a lot from them. And this is something that we really like doing. You guys get to hang out with us a little bit on a – a little bit more of a personal level because they're a little mm -hmm. bit more relaxed, laid back. They're still about football. We do have some other stuff up our sleeves coming soon. We will we will let you guys know, but they're really worth your time. So make sure you're following. Make sure you're keeping in touch with everything because they're a lot of fun. I think everybody that watched it enjoyed it this past week. Yeah, we've got a, good, a lot of good feedback with that. Make sure you sign up for the KCSN Substack. Make sure you subscribe to the KCSN newsletter and you get your normal podcast subscription going to KC Sports Network. We are kicking off everything in full on July 1st, but we're definitely ramping up through June. So you want to stick with us, get subscribed to everything so you get all the information you need. It's free to subscribe to everything. So please just go and do that. And then when things start kicking off in earnest, you'll know and you'll be the first to know. Speaking of kicking off in earnest, the Chiefs entered phase three of their OTAs this week. That means a lot of the veterans were in the building. Patrick Mahomes was in the building. He was there for much of this week working on that injured toe. A bunch of things that came out of OTAs here. We're going to break down a few of them today. The first thing, and I think possibly the biggest thing, at least for Maddie and I, that came out of all of this, Chris Jones showed up 
not only looking slim and trim, the man lined up at defensive end in every single picture that we saw, something that we had speculated about for a couple years. Maddie, take this away because you're the one that was kind of driving this initially. But what a journey it's been with Chris Jones and Steve Spagnuolo's defense. Like We can take this all the way back to Mobile, Alabama, where Craig and I spent a couple hours on a singular hotel bed, motel bed, <laughs> watching every bit of Steve Spagnuolo film that we could. We oh my goodness, I'm glad you said it was Spagnuolo film. <laughs> well, you know, use your imagination, I guess. Uh, so we spent that entire summer talking a lot about what Steve Spagnuolo's defense had been with the Giants mostly because the Saints didn't really give him much control. The Rams, he was a head coach, so it was kind of up and down. But we drove into a lot of what that defense was. And what we came away thinking, one of our big thoughts was Chris Jones really doesn't fit the mold of Steve Spagnuolo's defensive tackles. But you know what he does? He's only... 10 pounds above the weight that he likes for his defensive ends. And he kind of has the physical profile that you would prefer out of a defense that Steve Spagnuolo prefers out of his defensive end. So we spent that entire 2019 offseason saying, hey, you might see more Chris Jones kicked out at defensive end and then kicked inside on pass rushing downs a defensive tackle where he's been. Chris Jones looked light when he was working out on his own. We continued to speculate it and we only really got it in spots because of injuries during that 2019 season. And it really wasn't that great, but he didn't get time to work on it. It seems like this offseason, he's finally getting time to work on it, Greg. Yeah, I, I I think the fact that he came into OTAs in the very first place that they lined him up as defensive end should tell you a little bit of something. Now, what the, the thing that everybody's going to react with, and I get it, and I totally get this, is Chris Jones is an elite player as a defensive tackle. I totally get it. He is an elite pass rusher. Steve Spagnuolo, for those that aren't familiar with his tendencies, regularly moves his defensive ends inside on obvious passing downs. We saw Tano Passigno play a lot of three-tech in his time. We've seen Frank Clark click, kick inside. We saw a little bit of Terrell Suggs even kicking inside. So, He's going to put the best pass rushers on the field, and he likes those guys that had that flexibility. Chris Jones, losing that weight, that's a guy that can still win inside. Quick Jones, Chris Jones wins with quickness. He wins with penetration. If he's a little lighter, he might arguably be a little faster. Now, where that does hurt is on rundowns. If he's a defensive tackle, he can get blown off the ball a little bit. You know, you got those guys coming downhill at him. He can get blown off the ball a little bit. So you get him a little lighter and quicker. You put him at defensive end. You say, Chris, we need you to set the edge. We need you to squeeze some of these interior gaps from the outside, kind of simplify some of those run responsibilities for him than maybe he was having to do as a defensive tackle. Not that it's simple. He's still, you know, got a lot on his plate there. But getting to work out at defensive end all offseason is a major thing because everybody's going to point to that Titans game that he played in in the regular season two years ago. Chris Jones had to play there because of injury. He did not get to practice at that position outside of that week. So getting the whole offseason to reshape his body, to play that position, to get what Steve Spagnuolo needs out of him, I think that's a big deal. Maddie, I think, it, is it to the point now where you're ready to say that Chris Jones is the starting base defensive end opposite of Frank Clark? When you look at the roster, who is his competition? I know, yeah. Taco Charlton didn't get that nod last year before he got injured. I love that they brought him back. I thought mm -hmm. he was clearly their second best pass rusher on the outside, but he didn't get that role. So it's kind of Chris Jones versus Mike Dana. I mean, I guess as your base defensive end, while Mike Dana is a good base defensive end, he's a good run defender, yes. he mm -hmm. is the anti-Steve Spagnuolo guy. I can see why they would want to put somebody else out there. So... I don't know the competition that he's going up against is relatively low this year. And so that's why I do think that Chris Jones deserves the shot. You look at Chris Jones physical profile compared to Cameron Jordan, Cameron Hayward, you know, some other guys now Cameron Hayward plays in a three, four, I know, but you just compare him to some of these other guys that have that same kind of build. A lot of guys do get by playing defensive end with his length, with his size. When you add in his quickness, it's all there. I do think he needs this offseason, though, to learn how to rush the passer. Because, I mean, Craig, you can tell me, have you seen him do anything but bull rush somebody 
as a defensive it was end. Mo- it, it was largely bull rush. I mean, he played defensive end so rarely. And then even in those situations, a lot of times it was early running downs that he didn't get to really pin his ears back and rush the pasture. But yeah, mostly bull rush. So Craig, now I'm going to ask, why do you think this year, besides having all offseason, why else do you think the Chiefs would maybe consider moving Chris Jones away from defensive tackle to play defensive end? I mean, because... Uh, Boy, you're really good at this, man. I, I just want to say you're really good at this. That brings us to our next point. Jerron Reed, a guy that's been a little slept on this offseason as a Chiefs addition. Andy Reed made sure to mention him. He went out of his way in the presser today to really go on about what Jerron Reed can offer this team as a three technique and one of the specific things that he said was having Jerron Reed on this roster gives them Chris Jones flexibility we know Chris wants to play as a 4-3 defensive end he has said it Steve Spagnolo has said it like it has been a thing this he really wants to play as a 4-3 defensive end but when he's your best three tech it's hard to move him away not that Jerron Reed is a better three tech. That's not what not I'm trying close. to say here. Not, yeah, I'm not, not trying to say there. But Jerron Reed is also a good three tech, a potentially very good three tech, and hasn't been able to play in a scheme where he's been surrounded by a lot of guys that can rush the passer really well. I think they're really high on Reed. I think that they they think there's a potentially big year for him. And they've got him on the cheap. Like I, I've said a couple of times in this offseason that Jerron Reed might be the best offseason signing that the Chiefs have made just because of the cost versus what I think that he's got in him on the output. He fits that Spagnolo scheme on the inside, Maddie. Just like you were talking about Chris Jones playing defensive end, talk about why Jerron Reed makes sense as a de- Spagnolo defensive tackle. Greg, I have the perfect answer for this question, but I have to derail us right now. I have okay. to hit you with what I would do to Kent. Chris Jones, it seems to be his main reason for wanting to play defensive end is he gets to go to Coldstone and eat a lot of ice cream. And I can't yeah. blame him, but uh, I, I, I know yeah. your answer here because I, I know you. But uh, what would be your preferred Coldstone ice cream order? I don't, I, I don't eat sweets, Maddie. You know this about me. I, I just wanted, cookies and cream. I just wanted you to put it out there. Cookies I just want you to put it You're out trying, there to the world that you hated trying, ice cream with a passion. We, we are trying to build a subscriber base, and you're trying to make people hate me right now. So so back off on all of that. Jerron Reed, peanut go butter, on Jerron Reed. Peanut butter cup perfection represent. Tell Craig how he is missing out. Uh, right, so fine. Jerron Reed, Jerron Reed is the ideal fit for Steve Spagnuolo. Three-tech, defensive tackle, whatever you want to end up calling him. I think he would be fine as a nose tackle, but they already have a fantastic nose tackle and Derek Nottie. I think Jerron Reed could definitely play that role. I think even in the long term, as much as it pains me to say, Jerron Reed, if the price tag isn't ridiculous going forward, would make a ton of sense to replace Derek Nottie because he does offer a little bit more explosion off the line of scrimmage. He's still very good versus the run, but he fits the single gap penetrating mold a little bit better. I just think that Derek Nottie is so good versus the run, I would hate to see him leave. But Jerron Reed, you replace Chris Jones, who is an average run defender. I'd say he's really good in some scenarios, but really poor in some others. So maybe it comes out to average run it defender. It evens out. Yeah, it yeah. evens out. Yeah. Average run defender. Jerron Reed's a good run defender. He doesn't offer the same level of pass rush, but you're not mm-hmm. asking Jerron Reed to be your best pass rusher. You're not asking Jerron Reed to be your second best pass rusher. You're barely asking him to be your third best pass know, rusher under yeah. Steve Spagnuolo's defense. So yeah, he might not record a bunch of sacks in you know under two and a half seconds according to PFF, but you know what he does do? He pushes the pocket. He demands bodies to be on him to block him. And when you throw out Frank Clark, Jerron Reed, Derek Nadi, and Chris Jones as your base defensive line, where are you trying to run the football? That's a lot of guys that play the run relatively well. We'll have to see what Chris Jones does at defensive end. But mm-hmm. the other three, that's a lot of really good run defenders. Steve Spagnuolo, as much as he's advanced his game planning for the modern NFL, studying Urban Meyer's offense, getting to know what Ohio State was doing, he wants to defend the run first and foremost. Boy, Jerron Reed makes them do that really darn well. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, Chris Jones is the question mark there, and it's simply because you're shifting him positions. Like, it, it's not that we don't think that he can do a lot of the things at defensive end. We certainly do. And even then, you can rotate. Mike Dana is going to rotate in plenty at that other defensive end spot. He was already quality as a run He defender. was already he was quality, quality run defender. Yeah, ridiculously smart run defender. So your run defense on that front floor gets really 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 good like it's something to actually get excited about as is you know people say that the run doesn't matter but i mean we've seen it matter in some games against the chiefs defense this gives them the ability to get into that second and long third and long scenario where then all of a sudden your front four expecting the pass can go to frank clark Chris Jones on the inside, Jerron Reed or Tershawn Wharton, and you can kick in like a Taco Charlton or a Joshua Kando or one of these guys that can just kind of tee off and play really well against the pass and just rush the passer. You get into more of those situations. Now you've got bodies and for both situations. It's something to get excited about. And Andy bringing him up. You know, really making sure that everybody realizes how much of a steal they think they got here. I I think that that's a bigger deal than we've made it out to be. And that's why we're seeing Chris Jones at defensive end. Yeah, I think the Jerron Reed just announcement came in an odd time. Like a lot of it people, did. it kind of caught fire real quick and people liked it. But then I think once everybody kind of dove in and saw like, okay, maybe he's not as good of a pass rusher as the production said for a couple seasons. And this isn't a huge knock. I'm just, no. there was a, there's some really good production in there, but when you go back and watch, it does seem like a lot of the stuff just kind of happens in an inconsistent way. But you look at Jerron Reed, you're putting him as your second best run defending interior defensive lineman. And then you're putting him as your third best pass rusher. Like, he was the best and the best for Seahawks. He was their best run mm -hmm. defender. He was their best pass rusher when they he lost. He was the Frank focal Clark. point when you played against that defense. Now he's the third. I mean, yeah. Right. Everything's changed. So I do think this is a move that is kind of, it peaked and then now it's kind of just tapered off. And I do think that is something that would, it's going to come back and Chiefs fans are going to be really appreciative of this move as the season goes on. Now, yeah. this wouldn't be very Casey laboratory of us though. If we just gave you the, you know, red and gold colored glasses in the sunshine and rainbows version of this, if the Chris Jones, a defensive end experiment doesn't work, what does that look like? Right? Like, why would that not work? I, it wouldn't work because he's uncomfortable kind of reading the run from out there and squeezing some of those interior gaps. We saw again, referencing that Titans game that he didn't really get to practice at defensive end but he left some cutback lanes wide open. And so we saw Derrick Henry kind of rack up a ton of yards by hitting some of those cutback lanes against Chris Jones. It's also one of those situations where Chris Jones, as you've said before, Maddie, has elite athleticism for a defensive tackle, but as a defensive end, it's not as elite. It's still good, don't get me wrong, and maybe with this dropped weight, he, he can trend upwards there, but he's not a particularly bendy pass rusher. That's okay, Steve Spagnuolo doesn't have particularly bendy pass rushers on his roster, but he, winning just with a bull rush is Harder to do as a defensive end. You got to have a little more in your arsenal. We've seen him win with swim moves. We've seen him win, you know, with some of those things on the inside where it's easier to pull some of that stuff off. Learning technique for a defensive end and as a pass rusher out there, it's just difficult. That's a big growth arc. So I think that that's something if it fails, if it doesn't go well, I think those are the reasons why it could go poorly. Yeah, in the limited reps we've seen, I I don't think Chris Jones moves like a defensive end. Now, maybe that changes this year. He's probably never played defensive end since like middle school. I think right. I'm going back to his high school recruiting. I'm pretty sure he was an interior defensive line prospect. At Mississippi State, he was a little bit bigger. Like he was a relatively large defensive right. tackle. There was, I mean, there was questions about his commitment to the game. Like it was there. I'm not hiding it. It was there. So he didn't play defensive end since maybe middle school, early high school. So he doesn't know what he's doing. He just doesn't move like a defensive end to me. He's when he's out there on the edge, he looks a little uncomfortable in space. So you're hoping that he cleans that up this off season. But if he can't, 
I think you can get by on base downs, just having him bull rush, having him long arm, being a power rusher. That's completely there. My biggest concern is we've talked about it plenty. Chris Jones is not the most assignment sound player in the NFL. He's not the most assignment sound player on the Chiefs defense. That's just mm-hmm. not how he plays the game. And I the Chiefs he's... and the Chiefs coaches have have said as such. It's <laughs> Chris has said as such. Yeah. Everybody knows it. And that's yeah. fine at all times. Like it doesn't matter what yeah. position you play. It's accepted. It's known. And you either think it evens out or what. That doesn't matter. The Chiefs wanted him here. They paid him. They extended him. He's here. Mm-hmm. They want him here despite that. But in Steve Spagnuolo's defense, when you put a guy at defensive end, I think there's more responsibility to be assignment sound to be gap responsible and there is a defensive tackle. You have guys that can cover for you in some degree at defensive tackle. At defensive end, I think that the way he plays his defensive ends, playing them through the tackle, holding hard contain, not having these guys you know, get overzealous and attack everything, I think that's going to be a big challenge for Chris to not always go for the quarterback on the fake bootleg to not always try to attack upfield and try to remain responsible. So they do have to calm that down. That more so than playing in space, being a defensive end athlete is where I think this could really blow up is if they can't get him to play under control for what they want. Yeah. And I mean, that's uh, part of that is technique. Part of that is reps. I mean, like a lot of that, like as a defensive tackle, if he knifes into the backfield, and there's a quarterback standing there. Obviously, he's going to go for the quarterback. Like, I mean, that that's part of it. I do think, regarding the commitment part, you know, like like you said, coming out of coming out of college, that was one of his knocks on his scouting report. I do think seeing him this week, the man is lean. Like he really is lean. He looks phenomenal. So he is committed to this transition. I fully believe he's committed to this transition. So. I'm excited to see him out there. Legitimately excited because I do think that I think I think it's there. I think the coaching staff is capable of transitioning him out there. It's just, it just remains to be seen. Like we we're going to see that. So talking about something that remains to be seen, a Tyron Matthew contract. Tyron Matthew spoke to the media today. Uh, He was kind of asked a little bit about his contract status, about what he wants and things like that. And obviously he dodged some of it, had the funniest moment of any presser today when somebody asked him about his tweets and some of some of the things that he says on Twitter. He said, you know, essentially you, you should ignore that. Don't pay attention to that. I delete a lot of tweets. That would that was his direct thing. Hilarious. It was it was incredible. Because he does. Uh, Anyway, Tyra Matthews' contract status is what it is. He wants to be in Kansas City. I think you can tell by the way that he talks. I think you can tell by the way that it is. Brett Veach has made it abundantly clear that they make deals in July or, you know, June or anything like that. Like every time he's been asked about Tyron, he's pointed to we make deals in the summer right now we did it with pat we did it with kelsey we've done it with all these guys so i do think that both sides are working towards a deal maddie just putting you on the spot here do you think that tyron matthew gets a contract extension before june 3rd that's next week do you think he gets a contract extension within the next week that's a tight deadline so i'm gonna say no I think it will happen after that. I think it will happen this summer. Uh, I look at this Chiefs team. I look at who talks to the media. I look at who other players reference consistently, who coaches talk about. I just don't think Tyron Matthew gets out of Kansas City. I really don't. I think they would. I think you're bordering on the point of you're paying him what in the heck ever he asked to be paid. Yeah, you might try to play hardball, but you're paying him whatever he ends up wanting. This team needs him. This team needs somebody. I'm looking around that defense. I don't see anybody else ready to step into his shoes. I really, I love Frank Clark. I think Frank Clark brings a lot of energy to that defensive line group. I don't think he's Tyron Matthew level of leader. I don't think he's the same kind of leader. I don't think Chris Jones is. I don't think that Anthony Hitchens has the level of play to demand the same level of respect. There's nobody to replace Tyron Matthew if you lose him as the leader of the defense. That was a huge deal to Spagnolo, to Patrick Mahomes, to Andy Reid, to Brett Veach, to everybody to bring in somebody like that. So I have zero doubt that he gets an extension for the Kansas City Chiefs. 
I just don't know if it happens within the next week. I actually meant to say June 4th because that's next Friday. The reason that I'm bringing that up, June 1st, baby, that's a big day. All of a sudden, you may see some movement after June 1st. There's been a lot of names linked to the Chiefs. Julio Jones is one of them. One of the best ways oh, to boy. clear one of the best ways to clear contract space is by extending Tyron Matthew. So I'm keeping an eye out next week. I think that I think that would indicate something. Like if we hit Sunday or Monday and all of a sudden Tyron Matthew's got a new contract, my ears are perking up for what could happen after June 1st. So Wanted to bring that up. It does still appear that both sides are still talking. I don't think Tyron Matthews going anywhere. I'm just paying attention to win I that contest. I am so logging off Twitter if they do this move like on June or at the, just right before June 1st. I am getting off Twitter so fast because I'm with you. Oh, I think that the, if that the move speculation. comes in before, yeah. it's going through the roof. And it, it's yeah. fine. I don't think Julio Jones is off the table. I just don't know if we need an entire two, three days worth of speculation about Tyron Matthews extension means that Julio Jones is coming because I think they want to extend Tyron Matthew regardless. Oh yeah, they definitely do. I'm just saying that if it happens this weekend, I, I'm, I'm starting to pay attention. I'll fuel this hype train. You can't stop me fueling this hype train. Just saying. Aren't I you will. going on vacation soon? Aren't you leaving? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go on vacation and I'm going to disappear off of Twitter for a weekend. So don't worry about me. I I'm, I'm good. One of the players that did get, uh, you know, basically some assets traded for him here that they put in front of the media, Orlando Brown, and a guy that might also get a contract extension in Kansas city. Like Maddie said, they put these guys out in front of the media, the guys that they feel are building blocks, the guys that they feel are very important to the team. Orlando Brown has immediately become a guy that they put in front of the media multiple times. And, He's a phenomenal interview, by the way. It just, he really is. It's so fun to listen to him talk. It, you just, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just very refreshing to listen to him talk. So here and, is something funny. I, I do got to interrupt you for a yeah, second. Yeah, go, this go, is funny go, go. to me. Joe Tooney and uh, Creed Humphrey, they interview exactly how you just picture an offensive lineman interviewing. It's not a bad thing. Just no, it's when not. you picture an offense, a good offensive lineman interviewing, you get what Creed Humphrey and Joe Tooney bring you. It's smart. It's very well thought out. It's also relatively cut and dry. It's yeah. relatively bland and not particularly yeah. fun to listen to. But you get Orlando Brown or Trey Smith on a mic. Like that's almost just like you have to tune in to hear these guys talk mm -hmm. because it's a lot of fun. Not only they're still smart, they're still intellectual. Don't get me wrong, and I'm yeah. not saying this makes them better players or anything. It's just no. it's, a, it's fun to listen to both of those guys. I just think it's kind of this fun yin and yang of guys they brought in this offseason and drafted, and they just kind of have guys in both camps from both sections of additions this year. When you listen to enough pressers, especially with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, God love them. But you don't get much information out of them. And it's it, it gets to be a little bit consistent with some of the things that they do. I mean, the Chiefs who are even kind of poking fun. We look forward to the challenge playing the blah, 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 blah. You know, the fact that they could do that with Andy just it, it's fun. But at the same time, anyway, Orlando Brown, one of the things that he said that stuck out to me today was the fact that he felt that the Chiefs are rewiring him a little bit. He actually used the words rewiring. Andy Heck is having to rewire the way that I think about playing the position, you know, kind of taking away some of the things that Baltimore has taught him. And I thought that that was really interesting because when we watch, you know, the, this offensive line, and we talked about this in the offensive line film room, Baltimore ran a lot of the similar concepts to... Oklahoma, where he came from, some of these power moves, some of this gap scheme, things like that, that you would feel like he's really comfortable in. So I would think that it's technique. I would think that it's maybe something to do with his pass sets. Obviously, the Ravens played with some quicker pass sets and were, you know, not dropping Lamar as deep on some of that stuff. That's just the way that their offense worked. But Trey Smith is out here having to get some extra coaching to adapt and the coaching staff praised him for being intelligent praised him for picking everything up super quickly but i just thought it was very interesting that he admitted 
that coming from that Baltimore scheme where he played left tackle and right tackle, but where he played left tackle for most of last year, that he's having to make some serious adjustments to his game to really adapt and become a better player that fits in the Chiefs scheme. In my Trey Smith, Craig did mean Orlando Brown. You oh know, I just mentioned, I mentioned Trey Smith, so it got him all that. You put it in my brain. So that's my fault. Yeah, I... And when you say that, because I hadn't quite gotten to the Orlando Brown press conference yet. So when you told me that right before we started, my initial thought was kind of starting to churn through, okay, the Ravens have really good offensive lines. The Chiefs have been a little bit up and down. Now their tackle play has been good. So I'm trying to think Mm -hmm. of what would need to be rewired from where he came from a really good offensive line to an offensive line that had been up and down. And it just, it has to be the pass protection aspect. It has to be rethinking how pass protection works you're no longer trying to pass protect for seven yards and for two and a half seconds, because that's not the chiefs offense. That's not Patrick Mahomes. Right. You're now, you're not quick setting everything. You're not angle setting anything. It's vertical sets. It's getting deep into the pocket. It's having to create a 10, 12 yard pocket for your quarterback. And I really think that has to be it. There's no longer the thought process that you can just push a guy to 10, 11 yards and your quarterback's going to take off and run as soon as he sees somebody flash around the outside. I take a lot of pot shots at Lamar Jackson for being a runner and not a passer, but he is coming from that offense. Lamar Jackson is very willing to take off and run really quick. Patrick Mahomes likes to drift back. He likes a deep pocket. He likes to have a lot of space to work with. I do think that is a big change going from Baltimore to what the Chiefs are doing. So I'm glad that he's acknowledged that that's the case. I know a lot of people that didn't love this move were worried about how Orlando Brown would fit in because he's having to block for these deep pockets and everything now, but he's acknowledged it. He's talked about, he's working on it. I think that's good. I think that's a really good thing to come out and say because it shows that he knows there's a difference. And I think that he's a smart enough, good enough player to figure out how to deal with it. Yeah. And I mean, it's that kind of information when we talk about Orlando Brown being a really good presser that you you start to get those tidbits and you can put together some of this. And that's why it's fun because I, I think he is brutally honest about his play. I, I really do think so. And I think he's brutally honest about his goals. And that's refreshing to hear. So yes, it is refreshing to hear. Yes, I acknowledge that things are changing. It's not going to be easy. I'm not going to just walk in on day one and be able to play left tackle for the Chiefs as good as anybody's ever played or you know whatever the case is you know that you hear some of these guys kind of spout off about some stuff Orlando Brown realizes that he's got work to do and the Chiefs coaching staff has said that he's really uh, adapting and overcoming and really growing as a player already you know and they haven't even put pads on yet so that's awesome sticking with the offensive line though we got to see through some pictures this week the Chiefs website updates you know almost every single day and posts pictures of the team, sometimes not always with the, the best labeling. There was uh, some Bashad Breland labeling and Damian Wilson labeling, and that's not that's not ideal. But one of the things that I think that you can see from a lot of these pictures, based on the guys that he's lining up next to, Creed Humphrey appears to be your starting center. Maddie, when we did the film room, we were asked about you know, where we thought the best five would be to fit in a gap scheme, what we thought was going to basically be the starting five in week one. And you talked a lot about Creed Humphrey there on the film room. I want to give you the runway here. Creed Humphrey is obviously getting the first shot to start. Tell everybody why you believe that's the case. Because they drafted him in the second round and his competition is a guard, is a guard center making the near the vet minimum. The fit, Maddie. Why the fit makes sense. Now, uh, yes. No. It, it, Creed Humphrey, if the Chiefs go the route that Craig and I do believe they're going with a little bit more power up the middle with still good athletes, but still just running a little bit more gap system, a little bit more power in their run game scheme, and then getting a guy that is high IQ, they can call all the pass protections for the help Patrick Mahomes with that aspect in the passing game. Creed Humphrey makes a ton of sense. I'm not saying Austin Blythe can't do these things, hasn't done these things in the past. I just think you watch Creed Humphrey play. You've watched him play at Oklahoma for multiple years now. They've played enough games against all sorts of competition. 
he's going to be close to as ready as you can get for a rookie coming into the NFL. I think you just slap him in, you let him win, you let him lose, but he fits what they are looking for. I think right now, I mean, Creed Humphrey with his athletic profile fits any scheme you're looking at, but specifically the way the Chiefs are going with the screen game you hope to return with a little bit more power run game. He just makes a lot of sense across the board. He does have chemistry with Orlando Brown. Now, Left tackle to center, probably not. Two guys working together a ton, but it's still there. They understand how each other think, how each other work. So just all the things start to align. And I really had zero doubt that Creed Humphrey would be your week one starter at center. I think most people were in the same boat, though. Right. I think I agree with that as well. I think you're seeing uh, you know, a lot of Joe Tooney and Kyle Long opposite him, putting two ridiculously smart veterans on either side. I think that helps with his growth curve, even if it's just OTAs, getting protections called, getting the way that everybody, you know, kind of communicates and the way that everybody understands each other, because that is important. You know, whether it be a zone scheme or a gap scheme, having that ability to make sure that everybody's on the same page, everybody understands where where the twists, where the stunts are coming from, where the blitzes are coming from, who's taking what, who's passing that off. That takes time to adapt and time to really grow as an offensive line. And we've seen that the past couple of years when the Chiefs have gone through the attrition that they have on the offensive line, they have struggled to be on the same page with passing some of that off, adapting to some of those twists and stunts in the games up front. Now you're getting these guys that are really smart. You're getting these guys that the Chiefs have invested a lot of assets in, all on the same page. I think that the ceiling is ultra high here, and I'm very glad. And again, this is not a knock on Austin Blythe. I'm very glad that they're giving Creed Humphrey the keys to the kingdom, basically, protecting Patrick Mahomes, getting on the same page as Mahomes and all these protections. I'm glad that they're giving him the keys to the kingdom on that and letting him learn immediately. I am always team. Let the young kids play. You know, you invest these assets, give them the reins, let them learn on the fly. Creed Humphrey, we know, is a ridiculously smart player, called protections at Oklahoma for three years. You know, it it's not – and he called run and pass protections. He's not calling pass protections. Mahomes is handling that now. So he's calling all these run protections – It's going to be a big step up to the NFL, but getting him out there immediately, getting everybody used to the way that he calls things is imperative. So I'm very glad to see that out of Creed Humphrey. Matty, do you have anything more on the offensive line before we move off of this, move off of talking about the big boys? I got to briefly pour one out for my offensive line because it does appear that Kyle Long is taking the majority of his snaps at right guard, which is fine. Yes. I do think that that's th- that was the logical place for him to play, and I assumed he would play there. I just think the way the Chiefs get the most talent from offensive line offensive lineman one to offensive lineman seven or eight is by playing Kyle mm-hmm. Long at right tackle. I still don't... Di- I. I don't think Mike Rimmers is a starting caliber right tackle for the NFL. And I'm hoping that Lucas Niang can perform good enough to take that job from him. But as of right now, Mike Rimmers does appear to be the starting right tackle. Lucas Niang is probably the backup as of now. It's OTAs, but as of now, that appears to be the case. I was hoping Kyle Long would get that job because I just think that would put the most talent on the board, whether that would be LDT starting, Trey Smith starting, but I just I want to say, because I kind of talked about it, I put Kyle Long at right tackle into predictions. Appears to be incorrect. I kind of knew that deep down at the time, but I just wanted to address it because I know some people disagreed. Some people agreed with what I was saying. I still stand by the, the most talent the Chiefs can get from offensive line, you know, their starters to the two, three best backups would be Kyle Long playing right tackle. We'll get there though. Yeah, we will. Um, I do think that it's worth noting since we're at this logical point. LDT is not there this week. Uh, He's one of several absences. Uh, Colin Saunders, Travis Kelsey, and Patrick Mahomes did practice earlier on this week and missed parts of this week. Andy Reid did say that there's a bug going around the building, and he didn't classify who else was missing. But guys that did not practice this week, Frank Clark, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Charvarius Ward, and LDT. I, I do think that it's worth mentioning that. It's worth keeping an eye on it. These are, these are optional. They are not mandatory. These guys don't have to be there. 
But Andy likes for everybody to be in the building. Mandatory for Andy. Yeah. And that's air yeah. quotes for anybody just listening. These are these are mandatory and air, or these are optional and air quotes for Andy Reid. Yeah. He likes his guys to be there. He, he Andy Reid's very big on having guys be in the building. Now, if they show up to the next group, because I think the OTAs, the way they work every couple weeks or every week, you have a three-day stretch of OTAs. If all of a sudden all these guys show up next week, it's a completely non-story. But if they miss all of them, I can almost assure you that Andy Reid is not happy that they were not yeah. there. Yeah. And for all we know, all those dudes are sick. Like, I mean, yeah, we do. I don't, I don't want to say anything or speculate anything here, but it is worth mentioning that those guys weren't here. All right. Let's, we talked enough about offense. Ken isn't isn't here to just drag down the offensive talk. So let's close on a little bit of defense. Maddie, Anthony Hitchens got to speak to the press today. And one of the things he said, was that he was coming in a little bit lighter this year. Tell me your thoughts on that. Anthony Hitchens is usually a pretty good interview. Like he he tells you he's a good guy to listen to talk to. I don't think he gives up a lot of information. That was not true today. I think Anthony (laughs) Hitchens gave you just as much real information actually as anybody else. And probably one of the two leading points would be, yeah, he showed up lighter. This spring, he talked about why he was coming in lighter. He essentially said that he wanted to start this whole process a little bit lighter because of what the modern NFL is. He specifically mentioned guys running a ton of crossing routes, receivers like Tyree Kill, like McCole Hardman, running all over the field, forcing linebackers to run with them. He wanted to start off you know, his process getting ready for the season and a lighter weight. If he needs to add weight later on, he mentioned that he can always do that. He can always throw in more lifting sessions as they go through training camp, as they get into the season. He just wanted to start different. Now, in the back of my mind, all I'm wondering is, has drafting linebackers and back-to-back second rounds the last (laughs) two years made him think, oh, something isn't working here. They aren't happy with something I'm doing. Maybe I should get better in some area. And he chose to be more athletic. He chose to be a little bit faster in coverage. So that's something that's sitting there. But he openly talked about why he was doing this. And I think it's a good move. I do think there's no reason to be 245 pounds playing linebacker in the NFL anymore unless you are just one of those rare freak athletes. Yeah, like Willie Gay Jr. The Chiefs have one of those dudes that is a rare freak athlete with that kind of density. Anthony Hitchens wasn't necessarily a heavy, heavy linebacker to begin with, but he he was built like a guy who was there to stop the run. So yes, dropping some of that weight allows him maybe to drop into coverage a little bit better. One of those things that the Chiefs are looking for is somebody that can take over for Ben Neiman in the dime. If Anthony Hitchens is dropping weight to get better at a lot of the things that Ben Neiman was asked to do in the dime, that's something that I could see him trying to do. It's also a situation where against the run, he may be looking at the bodies in front of him and saying, we're putting a little more mass in front of me. We're putting guys that are going to require multiple double teams, combo blocks, and that can hold them a little bit longer. And Jerron Reed and Derek Nottie, maybe I want to play a little faster. Maybe I want to be able to shoot some gaps, be a little more slippery when I'm trying to knife into the backfield. I think there are multiple ways that the Chiefs can really utilize Anthony Hitchens outside of the obvious things that he offers as a pre-snap defender, like the organization and everything like that. So I think that if he's kind of reading the tea leaves, like Maddie said, you know, drafting linebackers, he's definitely looking at that and going, okay, I might not be super long for this team. This might be my last go in this Chiefs organization. Maybe I need to get a little slimmer. Maybe I need to, you know, be a little bit more of a splash player rather than this consistent guy that's just lining guys up and able to fill gaps and stack things on the interior. And however the Chiefs decide to play him, I think that this is a move that kind of is something they should do. I don't know where Nick Bolton's going to play. I don't know where Willie Gay Jr. is going to play. You could easily make the case that both of those guys, neither one of them are best suited to be the weak side linebacker right now. Not that Anthony Hitchens is, but if he loses a little bit of weight, he shows up and he's able to play in that spot a little bit better. Now, all of a sudden, you get your three highest ceiling linebackers on the field together. You probably get the three most talented guys 
on the field at the same time. So maybe this is something the Chiefs went to him with. Maybe he just showed up like this. He did mention as well that he's in his eighth season in the NFL, I think now, and that he can't treat it the same as he did when he was younger. So <laughs> he did talk about that a little bit. Maybe he Boy, has I feel that. My goodness. Whew. Maybe he's dealt with some nagging injuries. You know, he has missed some games over time being a very physical player. So, you know, there's things to that. So maybe that is part of it as well. Or simply, like we said, maybe he's just feeling the pressure. But I think this was probably only the second most fun thing that I heard Anthony Hitchens mm-hmm. say because he went into not super detail, but he divulged enough to know that uh, Steve Spagnuolo was very unhappy with the Chiefs' 32nd ranked red zone defense, according to the team last year. And they have spent a lot of time just pounding in red zone defense. And I know that hearing these words made my friend Craig Stout very happy. Oh my goodness. I'm I'm tired of watching this defense give up touchdowns in the red zone at the rate that, that they are. Like, it's unacceptable. It's absolutely unacceptable the way that they played in the red zone last year. You know, you we become accustomed maybe to a little bit more of a bend but don't break defense because that's kind of the way the NFL is going. It's very hard to talk, to stop offenses, and so a lot of defenses are giving it up between the twenties and then locking down in the red zone. And when you have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill and all of that offense on the other side, locking it down in the red zone and holding to field goals is a win i don't care what it is it is a win for this team the fact that they were unable to do that regularly this year wasn't a thing that bit them in the butt or anything like that but it is something that is it could portend doom for this team going forward so it it really excites me as the defensive guy to hear how much of a focus they are placing on that immediately like that's the thing that Steve Spagnuolo walked into OTAs with we need to clean up the red zone it has to happen it didn't kill him last year but it has to stop right now because there are going to be situations where this defense has to step up and they did that last year at times but they've got to be better they've got to keep this close when the offense isn't clicking which is very very rare and part of doing that is being able to keep them out of the end zone regularly. Well, I think Hitchin said the very first practice, Steve Spagnuolo said, hey, here's the three categories in which we were bad in the red zone. Number one, you guys executed poorly, which is essentially saying, hey, you guys didn't play good enough for what was going on. Two, you guys were just mentally off. You didn't play what I called. Guys missed assignments. They didn't know what they were supposed to do. And three, he did put some blame on himself. And Hitchin said that Steve Spangle stood up there and said, I probably made, or not, I probably said, I made some wrong calls. I called some wrong coverages. I made some bad play calls in the red zone. But this was practice number one. Steve Spagnola came in and said, hey, this is where we were messing up. Let's go drill it. Hitchin said, obviously, their red zone defense practices weren't perfect but they did a good job. They were getting better and they're working on it now rather than in August or September when games are starting to happen. And I do, you said Ben don't break. And I just wanted to kind of go back to that. That's not a Steve Spagnuolo style either. Steve Spagnuolo is like uh, full on pressure or break. Like there's not a lot of right. for Steve Spagnuolo. Like he's like, okay, I'm either going to make you go three and out or you're going to get a touchdown on this drive most of the time. Now, I do think that he does like to hold up in the red zone, clearly, as we're seeing now. It's just kind of, he will give up the big plays. He will allow offenses to come up with dynamic plays if they beat him with their scheme, if they make a good play. He is not a bend, don't break defensive coordinator, but Correct. he does want his guys to show up in the red zone. And I think you're going to see some, you know, probably a lot better than the 32nd best red zone defense this year. And if you don't, I think that's going to be, that's going to look really bad about Steve Spagnuolo because I mean, they're working on it now. So if they don't see good outcomes from it, that's a, that's oh, a big yeah. yikes. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, it, it, the, the don't break thing largely comes when the Chiefs are missing some of their impact defenders, when you see them having to really kind of limit their playbook with some of the things that they do. You see some of those situations where they're missing a member of their secondary and it doesn't, it's not even Tyron Matthew, you know, just a member of their secondary. And all of a sudden the, the coverages get just a little less exotic. I mean, I, and I get it, 
that's going to happen in the NFL. There's going to be attrition. So you've got to be able to lock down and stop when you're in those situations. And yeah, Steve Spagnuolo is very aggressive. Steve Spagnuolo is the guy that's going to call a cover zero blitz from the 40-yard line on first down. Like, just cuz. We used to call this a tendency breaker, but I don't think he's trying to break a tendency. I'm pretty sure it just is the tendency to just (laughs) randomly call all-out blitzes or to bring a cornerback just because from 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 a spot, you know, from an area where any offensive coordinator is not expecting to see their a cornerback, but whatever it is, when you play the chiefs and Steve Spagnuolo, and I think plenty of offenses have talked about this. Anything is on the table, like good luck trying to nail down what's coming at you. You just know that it's going to be chaos. And that's how come Ben don't break. Isn't it kind of in their arsenal because you can't play this, the chaotic way that Steve Spagnuolo does with his calls and then try to bend and not give up big plays. And I just think that the the goal is if you do get into the red zone, if you are backed up against the wall, now you got to change up your game plan a little bit. You got to play a little bit more stout. And I just were clearly unhappy with what happened this past season. Yeah, the tendency breaker for Steve Spagnuolo is playing like country cover three or a static, you know, cover two, like just a generic defense. Like that, that's that's what it is. So that's gonna do it for this week's edition of the KC Laboratory. Thank you all so much for joining us. Remember, sign up for the KCSN Substack at kcsn.substack.com. Subscribe to this YouTube channel. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts to the Kansas City Sports Network. Get in there. Make all those things happen. Stay tuned. We're coming with weekly information We're gearing up for the season just like the Chiefs are. We'll catch you later. And tell Kent how good he did in this episode. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.